1: Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson. October 8th gives us episode number 113. Lucky 113. Just ahead, two huge outcomes for two biotech companies with news sending them in opposite directions. And a big home flipper rearms its war chest with $9 billion to buy houses, perhaps near you. And how a cloud-based lending platform, open lending, is transforming the auto loan markets. We'll drill down on open lending with Villary Portfolio Manager Lamar Villary, but first, it's sponsor time. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another
0: critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA
1: AIERA.com so many of our listeners to the show listen to the show every single day that's a lot easier when you involve your smart speaker ask your smart speaker to play the drill down podcast we can catch every show and the drill down is brought to you by brain trust a global talent
0: network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands brain trust has helped clients like bank of america goldman sachs porsche under armor and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost visit braintrust.com that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. But
1: right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill. And we've got business stories behind stocks and move. And we have the three most important developments in the world of business today with executive producer Isaac Webster, who I will finally see in person next week. Yes. How long has it been? Has it been like three so, or four years? Probably more. Probably That's more. so weird. Yeah, it's... It's probably been it's like so five COVID years. that we work together all day long every day and I haven't seen <laughs> each other. But I can't wait to see you next week.
0: Same, same. And we've known each other for so long. Um, but yeah, it's been a while. It's been a beat. It's been a beat. But let's get started with the news. US job growth fell to the slowest pace of the year in September. The economy added just 194,000 jobs while the unemployment rate dropped to 4.8% as many workers exited
1: from the labor force. Yeah, people just not looking for jobs. Um, now, we've been hearing, you know, the, there was a huge shock to all the the prognosticators about employment. They were looking for 500,000 jobs, which uh, is way, way off. But, you know, if you listen to the show every day, and as I mentioned, you should if yeah. you listen to the show every day. You hear it from all of the CEOs who have been telling us about their difficulty hiring, telling us, about the, the pressures on on uh, wages, how uh, employees won't even walk in the door if they can't get paid a lot of money and they're not really getting the employees that they want all the time. We've been hearing it from the CEOs when we listen to what they have to say on our show. Uh, so maybe at least drill down listeners weren't caught totally unprepared by this low number.
0: Yeah, they shouldn't have been. They sh- if they're listening, they would have known. Pat myself on the back for that one. Now, let's move on. The Biden administration is weighing an executive order on cryptocurrencies. This is according to Bloomberg. The report says it's part of an effort to set up a government-wide approach to the asset class. Uh, The proposed directive would charge federal agencies with studying and offering recommendations on crypto and would touch on financial regulation, economic innovation, and
1: national security. On one hand, this is such good news. On the other hand, it's just terrifying Because the the U.S. government, in my opinion, has had a completely ham-handed approach to figuring out what to do about the world of crypto. And what happens is if these rules are stupid, crypto companies pack up and leave. And many of them already have. I know many entrepreneurs uh, who are Americans who are living in Switzerland. They're living in Singapore. They're building these businesses in Malta because those places have opened their arms to crypto and have tried to really embrace... Uh, the the potential for these businesses. The U.S. government took a very open-ended uh, approach to what was possible in the Internet, and the Internet flourished in California in particular in America writ large. They have not done so with crypto, and crypto is already kind of happening outside of the United States. If they screw this up, it could get even worse.
0: And history doesn't really tell us that they'll do so well with this. Well, so but we'll they, they might. If,
1: it could be, you know, what the Clinton administration yeah. did with the Internet was, was really— uh, visionary and really led to a, a, a strong creation. Look, we want to have bad actors out of the crypto industry, and maybe these rules will help make that happen.
0: God willing. All right, let's move on to Facebook. Another outage at you Facebook. getting religious about it. Oh, I'm always religious. You it's know just
1: that. freaking crypto. It's not you know,
0: crypto's religion to a lot of people I know.
1: Render unto uh, crypto what is crypto. Render unto God what is for God.
0: Who's getting religious now? Oh, sorry. All right, moving on to Facebook. Another outage at Facebook, the social network says some users were having trouble accessing its products today, which is Friday, October 8th. It wasn't immediately clear how many users are affected this time around, the company's global outage on October 4th, earlier this week, left more than 2.9 billion internet users unable to access Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, and other tools for roughly six hours, even though it felt like six days. The Facebook blamed a simple technical mistake made during routine maintenance for that outage, but we don't know what happened for this specific outage yet for today.
1: Corey, what stocks you're drilling down on? Well, let's start. I promise two biotechs going in very opposite directions, both with their stock price and the futures of their companies. More importantly, let's start with Chemocentrics. Chemocentrics,
0: uh, that's trades under CCXI shares, jumped ninety six percent today. That's and are pretty still incredible down for the year. Well, and they've but they've lost thirty five percent over the last twelve months. But you know, hey, today was a good day.
1: Chemocentrics with with a, a, a very stupid spelling of the name. Chemocentrics is one word with two capital Cs and an X in there somewhere. Really interesting business because they've been working on a drug that they call Tavnios, um, which uh, got a negative read from the FDA uh, earlier with a sort of a preliminary look that looked kind of bad um, uh, with some disagreement about how they're, the FDA wanted more information about the tests that they had been running. um, And yet it was approved in Japan well, the, it, this is a really binary event for this company. This is their big drug, and the FDA approved it. And it was a shock to the markets. It was a shock to people who follow this company because there had been some questions quite often when there are questions about how a study is conducted. It means the study just isn't right. But the FDA has decided, in fact, the study is right. Now, specifically, um, this uh, treats patients with something uh, known as ANC ANCA. And essentially, it's a, it's a therapy um, uh, f- that helps patients uh, uh, with kidney problems and and other. Uh, it's a it's a vascular blood problem that can affect lots of different things, uh, including your kidney. Um, the FDA approved this thing. Uh, they it's approved in Japan as well. It means everything for this company's ability to sell this. It also means they get some milestone payments uh, to the tunes of tens of millions of dollars from certain partners. And it really completely changes the trajectory of this company, something that really pleased the CEO, Tom Schall, when he spoke with uh, analysts and investors and people who follow the company this morning.
0: Tavios has been approved by the FDA. We will make it available to patients in the coming weeks. This follows approval in Japan. And we look forward to a decision by the European regulatory authorities later this year. As I said at the beginning of the call, this is a great day for chemocentrics, as well as for patients, rheumatologists, nephrologists, and our shareholders. And we've arrived at this point as a result of the contribution of countless individuals. These were not just the members of the chemocentrics team, but also the dedicated clinicians, members of the patient advocacy communities, and most important, ANCA patients themselves.
1: So, real hope for these people who didn't have uh, hope before, or maybe had hope dashed when it looked like this thing wouldn't get approved. Great news for them. Uh, and I, you can hear from the gravity of his voice this really was make or break for this company and uh, the chemocentrics, um, which is not chemo, to be clear. Um, uh, a big move for this company. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, here we have a biotech going the opposite direction, Allogene Therapeutics. Allogene trades under
0: ALLO. Shares fell 46% today. Ouch. And they've lost 67% in a year. So tough times.
1: So the interesting business in that or an interesting development in tech in technology, if you want to call it that, and, um, where these guys have a, a therapy for uh, CAR-T cells. CAR-T cells are um, genetically altered cells that are meant to sort of discourage cancer from growing. Um, and they were in the midst of a study when the FDA put a clinical hold on their study um, because they noticed a chromosomal abnormality in a single patient in their alpha-2 study. Now, this uh, went kind of, a you know, stock market stuff, get it out of the way, but uh, across the industry, you saw people who thought, wow, this, this CAR T cell therapy looks so promising. There are a bunch of companies that have done IPOs, with the promise that maybe this will be an ultimate cancer therapy with these genetically altered CAR T cells. So companies, not just Allogene, but uh, Maxite, Caribou, Biosciences, all took a hit in the public markets today with concern that, hey, what if this therapy causes chromosomal abnormality? It's so tricky to study this stuff because when cancer is happening in the body, it also can lead to ongoing uh, changes, chromosomal uh, abnormalities themselves. So was it caused by the treatment? Was it caused by the cancer? Was it caused by just this individual person? Yeah, it, it's so challenging to these companies. It's, this gene editing approach to fight cancer is theoretically so exciting, but when something goes weird, you don't know if it's cancer, which is weird enough in the human body. Or is it the treatment or the combination? Well. The company's trying to figure this out. And so they did a call with uh, analysts and investors today and other physicians, uh, David Chang, the CEO um, of of uh, Allogene, talking, saying, look, you know, we're we're do- we don't know, we're trying to figure it out ourselves, but we don't even know if this is a, a statistically significant thing because we don't know what happened to the chromosome. We don't know if this was happening because of the cancer and this is gonna require some additional investigation or so says CEO, David Chang.
2: You know, we are trying to understand, you know, first of all, whether this is a clinically relevant finding. Obviously, this is an observation that has been made, and our approach is trying to better characterize what exactly happened to the chromosome, and that may require some additional uh, investigation. And as uh, previously asked uh, by Sabine, uh, we are also looking to see when the, uh, the this uh, change may have occurred. I mean, so those are some of the ongoing investigations. And let me also, you know, reiterate, uh, this is a single case report, you know, out of more than 100 patients that we have tried. And, you know, this is not something that we normally look for uh, because uh, most patients do recover and uh, CAR T cells disappear uh, from the patient's body. So there's many unknown questions and we are working diligently to answer these questions.
1: So this is, I mean, this could end up being a day that we look back and say, wow, this great hope we had for cancer treatment never materialized on October 8, 2021, or maybe not. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look back at Open Door. We talked about this company about a month ago, but I, uh, kind of an important and maybe not well noticed change for this company this week.
0: Open Door trades under OPEN. Shares rose 7% today, and they've gained 15% in a year, but that's uh, well below the S&P.
1: Yeah, correct. So, Open Door is one of these companies that is what they're kind of known as iBuyers, is one of the phrases where you have these technologically driven home flippers. So they try to use their technology to figure out what houses are, are mispriced or where they've got an opportunity to go in and fix a price and they can do it quickly. And they will go in and they'll make an offer on a house and very quickly make an offer, cash offer done, we're in, we're out. They went out and raised a bunch more money now. Uh, they got entered in a new uh, mezzanine debt facility of $3 billion, or at least up to $3 billion. So this money, it means with other things that they've done, they've actually got $9 billion in non-recourse asset-backed facilities to make a uh, loan to buy houses. And to that is incredible. That's an incredible yeah. war chest. There's a $9 billion shopper out there looking to buy your house. Uh, and give so, them my address. Yeah, well, so they don't act, they're not <laughs> active everywhere. <laughs> now, they might not pay $9 billion for your house, Isaac. Why not?
0: You've been here. Come on.
1: I wouldn't. Anyway, let's move on from that. But they, one of the, you know, look, they can borrow at a lower rate than most, but they feel like they can use technology to make these transactions fast. They can use technology to get, figure out how, and use, use their scale to figure out how to fix a house, make quick repairs, flip the house and get it right back out on the market. They also say they make these deals really fast. And then when they get to, well, let me ask you if, if you can guess, how many times do you think they make an offer that they actually close the deal? 'Cause they make the offer within like forty-eight hours. Um I have no idea.
0: Fifty percent?
1: Fifty percent. Oh. Are you reading my notes? No, I didn't read your notes. Isaac. I never read your notes. Isaac, (laughs) yeah, well, there you go. So or emails or texts. Fifty percent. Um, they say it could even be better. So when they get someone who really is a seller, not someone who's just kind of fishing around for a price, they say when they get a true seller. With no modifications to the deal, they go, bam, here's the offer, and 50% of the time it's accepted. They think that could go even higher. Here is CEO Eric Wu. We see,
0: we see the conversion of true sellers, um, even without additional modifications as stand today, you know, uh, approaching 50%. That means that like, whenever someone is a real seller in the market and receives an offer from us, they, you know, one and two say yes. You can imagine if we can lower the cost and bundle things together and improve the experience, that can exceed 50%. Then it's just about raising awareness, right? So if, if the vast majority of home sellers know about Open Door and then actually request a quote, um, and we improve the accuracy of the pricing model and the cost structure and, and bundle things together, um, I, I, I really do believe that uh, the majority of transactions will move digital.
1: So, yeah, it's just so interesting. You go on the website, you pump your address in there, and you get an offer for your house. Um, it's, uh, I, love it's the an, e- I love the ease of that. Well, and that's, that's the thing that they talk about quite a bit. And... Uh, I didn't use this as this. That was from a, a conversation they had with an investment bank about a month ago. Uh, Eric, we also talked about things like just how we, our goal is we want to make, yes, we want to offer a price and get in and out of a house, but the, he, he compares the experience of, you know, we want to make it instead of having to fly from one place to another with three different stops and you got to change planes once, and it takes so much, he wants to make it really quick, really fast, turnkey, get an offer, take the money, get out of the house.
0: Hey, sign me up.
1: All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to our friend Lamar Villery about a look at a really interesting lending business called Open Lending that is trying to find a way to provide technologically driven, better loans, cheaper loans for a certain sector of auto borrower. That story next, but first... The Drill Down
0: is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit BrainTrust.com, that's B R A I N T R U S T.com, to learn more.
1: All right, welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. We're joined by our friend Lamar Villery of the Villery Fund. Uh, with an interesting company known as the Open Lending Corporation. Sounds very uh, ecumenical, sounds like a, 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 but it's an interesting, really interesting business, this notion of cloud auto lending. Uh, talk to me about uh, the Open Lending Corporation, Lamar. What, what does this company do?
3: Sure, so Open Lending basically sits between, sits in the in the middle of uh, whoever's selling cars, so whether it's the OEMs um, or, or- the car dealers, uh, the lenders themselves, and the insurance companies that handle the risk of uh, uh, automotive, uh, you know, car default if you default on your auto loan. Um, and what's, what's unique about these guys is they're focused on what they call the near prime market. So basically, traditional lenders are really good at writing credit for prime, so call it 700 FICO scores and above, and not very good at anything below that. They generally will basically call somebody prime or subprime um whereas in reality there's a huge gulf between a prime uh borrower and a true subprime you know very high risk type borrower there's a there's a wide void in there and and open lending essentially helps the uh those buying and selling a car company figure at parcel out who uh who's a good uh credit and who's not and helps the uh the, the seller basically price that risk a lot more attractively so that uh Basically, you're more likely to buy a car if your uh, loan's approved and comes in at a reasonable price. So, yeah, I thought it was like
1: being pregnant. Either you're, you are or you're not. You're prime or you're not prime.
3: Right. So all things are shades of gray, Corey. So, um, you know, we, we there's this uh, $250 billion a year uh, kind of section in the middle, again, which we call the near prime. And uh, just traditionally, uh, FICO is not very good at predicting uh, the likelihood of these guys uh making good on their loans. And open lending has 20 years of data and has, has proven through you know different economic cycles that they basically are, are better at pricing that risk. And, and the key there is uh, not to have the, the, the car company believe in it because they're just glad to get the car sold. The key there is having the insurance company comfortable with it. So if the you know, open lending is not taking any balance sheet risk, they, they are not a lender. So they're not a lender right they're not so who's a lender the
1: lender here the insurance company's a lender
3: no sorry so the okay so you've got um call it you know toyota credit who at this point is not a customer but but just sort of for, for simplicity's sake toyota credit um wants to probably you know somebody wants to go goes to their dealership and wants to buy a new toyota they, they fill out the paperwork with their social security number and so forth run it through the uh the system and it essentially says, okay, Toyota uh, Financing Corp will lend you uh, the money to buy this car. i call it 10% a year, and open lending would get a piece of that. The insurance company that sits there and says, we'll take the default risk, we'll take a piece of that. And, um, you know, some of it will go to the Toyota Finance Corp as their, their profit and overhead. So... Um, Basically, these guys are just helping the insurance companies get comfortable with the risk, and uh, helping the car companies sell the cars, and helping the buyers get better better rates than they would if they were just plainly plainly called
1: uh, subprime. Does, does open lending get points, or do they get a fee? They get both. Uh, okay.
3: Basically, they get both. They get paid um, kind of from from multiple sources. Mostly, it's upfront. Uh, a lot of it, you know, it's accelerated their payments upfront, but some of it. Um, goes over time with the car but they get paid whether that that winds up being a good credit or not uh they make a little more if it wound up being a good credit uh the bigger the bigger reason that they aren't going to uh, misjudge the uh the credit is obviously the insurance companies will not have the confidence in them going forward if they're uh, show that they're not as accurate in predicting defaults as, as they thought
1: so um you know. Well, and that's the magic sauce, right? I mean, there are so many companies out there, some of whom we've had on the show, um, that claim to have a magic algo. They've got, they claim, well, we've got the math. Are we, you know, we're Sofi. We're the lending Club. Where we've got a better way to figure out risk than the people who've been figuring out risk for the last hundred years. And I just, and I'm like, it's a bull market. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Ha- I can't disprove that but I'm so suspicious. And again, I we had a lovely interview with the CEO of the Lending Club. I think they're doing great and I, and I wish them a lot of well. I don't know if their magic sauce works or not. I don't know if SoFi's loan uh, um, or risk assessments are any better than anybody else's. They claim it's better and that's a pretty good business. You know, having to put less money aside for losses makes for a pretty good business model
3: until it doesn't. Sure, and, and again, um, they're not taking the risk, so so the person that they really the, who they have to convince that they're good at this is the insurance company. They don't really have to convince me. They're doing the volumes, okay? They they did two hundred. They're going to do two hundred thousand loans this year uh, from their protection program. They're going to generate two hundred million dollars of revenue. So whether they're good at it or not good at it, they they seem to be able to convince the insurance company. I mean, the whole key right. here is that the financing companies aren't taking any risk insurance companies are taking all the risk and they have the full confidence that open lending's algorithms are accurate and have worked and they have worked again over you know multiple types of cycle through the the Great Recession and so forth so uh, the the mousetrap has the uh, been been blessed by enough sources they just signed uh, this summer they signed their third insurance company uh, American National so they're able to. Uh, they've got some competition for the insurance pricing uh, going as well. Uh, so they, they've they, they seem to have this thing worked out pretty well. They're growing. They're, they're this year alone, they're doubling the number of uh, uh, loans that they processed over last year, and we think that's going to go up another probably 30 to 40 percent next year, and, and revenues will grow at the same. So so it doubled
1: um, this year. Yeah. Only 30 percent next year. Is that because? fewer cars out there to, to be to being created or
3: no no as no as a matter of fact so a couple of things a couple of answers to that the first is um you, you said number of cars being created so that that was a concern and i think that is a little bit of a headwind on wall street for the stock is concerned that people aren't car companies aren't able to make the cars as fast as uh, they'd like to um Open lending uh, in the last, over the last 12 months, over 80% of their loans have been on used cars. So okay. it works, the model works So they can shift way.
1: from used to new.
3: Because car purchases
1: are, are continuing a pace,
3: just inventories are lower and prices are higher. Exactly. So so that that's uh, not been a, a real problem for them. Um, but what really has caused the rapid uh, growth you know, last year and, you know, we what we have, so they're signing OEMs, and OEM being actually the car manufacturer. Um, they have so far signed, they have two fully signed. One is, we believe, Hyundai or possibly Kia. The second is General Motors. They also, um, we think they're close to signing Ford, although that's not contracted yet. And then um, they one of their uh, customers um, was recently acquired by Stellantis, which owns... Uh, a Jeep Ram a, Chrysler, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, um, you know, we believe that by that uh, acquisition, Stellantis would essentially become an OEM too. We haven't priced that into our growth expectations. My point is, well, the, the we're market assuming, is,
1: well, just to stick with that one, but but hold the thought. But uh, the market looked at that and said, "Oh, this is bad news for them. Their customers getting acquired."
3: Right. Well, there's two ways to look at it. Right. Their, their customer gets acquired, so then their customer goes away. Or their customer gets acquired, and then now the acquirer, meaning Stellantis, becomes a customer. Uh, we tend to think it's more likely uh, the latter. We tend to think Stellantis is going to take a look at what uh, these guys are able to do in terms of, you know, decreasing interest rates charged to consumers and thus increasing sales. Right. And that's it's more likely that they're going to become a customer.
1: It's fascinating because now they've been at it for 21 years. So the, presumably, if it's, it's been at 21 years, two decades doing this they figured something out, but just went public through a SPAC in June of last year. Why?
3: Uh, well, what really what really turned the corner on this company, I mean, they were doing a successful uh, small business with the uh, the lenders as their principal customers, but what really um, led to the explosive growth that we've seen over the last year or two and that we think we're gonna continue seeing is adding the OEM. So the, the big news, what brought this from being an interesting little company to a, um, a really compelling, uh, large, fast-growing business uh, is signing up the the OEM. So now, all of a sudden, when you've got basically every new Hyundai or Kia, every new GM, potentially every Ford, and then, you know, if, if the Stellantis acquisition of the, uh, the lender goes the way we, we think, um, every new one of those, that's when all of a sudden you've got a huge business, and that's when it, it was big enough, really, to be public and the public through this back
1: what does the uh, do changing interest I'm just trying to think of one of the risk factors I haven't thought of yet but and in the changing interest rate environment presumably higher interest rates gives them more room to charge a little bit more right it a does bit wider margin
3: it's potentially an offset is that it uh, you know people are less likely to borrow or, or maybe it hurts uh, car volumes if you know interest rates go from right now um, a typical uh, contract that they're writing is is all in it, it 12% if it goes to 20% people are obviously less likely to buy a new car or increase the value of their, their outstanding loan so I think that is a risk but but also it, it gives them more room uh, to, to potentially take some of the, the value stack I mean, they're 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 able to take a lot of it now and uh, it's not really come down so they're you know they're making about 1150 bucks on every single loan they, uh, they put out there Wow that, that could change a little bit, but yeah. So it's it's a, a lot. It's a lot. If you figure the lot. average
1: cost of the car, there's probably 35 grand there or less. No, less, less. Yeah. Yeah. 20, less. Sorry, I'm sorry. I think what CarMax told us 2,200 or something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, 2,000. That is.
3: Yeah. So figuring um, the last numbers we we looked at, it was around 25,000 and, and 1,100 or so out of that. Now, that's a lot. That's that's, that. When we say that's the price of the car, that's not including the price of the financing that's stacked on top of it. So really right. what they're taking is the piece, a chunk of the incremental financing.
1: So has the, your work on this company made you want to get a new car?
3: <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, I, I My car is paid for, so I'm, I'm glad not to be a, a customer of any lenders right now. And I'm, I don't plan to get a new one until I have to. Uh,
1: I've been six months away from buying a new car for the last nine years. So.
3: Yep, yeah. Shopping part is fun. The paying part's
1: less fun. Well, you know, you pay for it once. If you pay for it once, not so much. But that's not the business for these guys with Open Lending Corporation. I'm glad you brought this to us, Lamar Villery with Villery Funds. Uh, Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll keep an eye on the Open Lending Corporation. And indeed, we've got an interesting statistic that's going to help you better understand this company with the drill down bite. We'll have that bite explaining a little bit more about the Open Lending Corporation right after this.
0: The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence.
1: That's Era. A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you listen to The Drill Down every day, perhaps on your smart speaker. For example, if you have Amazon Alexa, you'd say, Alexa, play The Drill Down podcast. Hope you listen to every show.
0: And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at drill down pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net.
1: Okay. We are back with the drill down byte that one number that tells us a whole lot, Isaac, the metric that's most important for open lending is the certifications, how many loans they say are good to go. And the number of certifications these guys are doing is just growing fantastically. So the number of certifications last quarter, here it is, 46,408 certifications. That's a spectacular number for this company. But maybe more interesting is the growth. That's 148% year over year growth. That was the end of the second quarter. So, this is a business that is really changing because it is growing so very fast. That is in- incredible growth. If I grew 128%, that, that metric's getting boring, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think you already used that joke this week. So, maybe even this week, works up something else. Yeah.
1: Still, it would be something if I was 13 feet tall. It wouldn't even be that. It'd be more like 15 feet.
0: I'm giving you the wrap-up stare.
1: Oh, there we go. Yeah, so the Warriors won't be calling me anytime soon, if only. Thank you for your time today and this week. We do appreciate it. I'm Corey Johnson. He is Isaac Webster. Do I sound like Tim Ferriss? No. His podcast where he puts strange pauses in sentences. Can you say goodbye now, please? Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire whom I will also see in real life next week. The drill down to production of the Business Podcast Network.